0: Amen. I want to welcome everybody to another um, edition of the Trumpet Series Bible Study uh, Broadcast. This is your host, Brother Nick Bailey, coming you to you live from the United Baptist Church Auditorium on Thursday, October the 28th, 2021. Amen. Getting ready to end another, not just another week, but another month. Uh, praise God which means Thanksgiving's right around the corner. And we'll talk about that in a few moments. But... uh And as we move uh, closer to Thanksgiving, we want to uh, think about the uh, things in our lives that we have to be grateful for. And I don't know about you, but I've got so much to thank him for today. Today I faced a mountain, once again it seemed so tall, I tried to climb, but it seemed I Just as always I felt his presence his hand of mercy lifted me just in time So I want to thank him I want to praise him His grace has been sufficient and like be Given victory one more time, he was always standing by my side when the valley was low and the river was wide. I want to thank him, I want to praise him. Looking back upon this journey Since the day I first met Him So many times His love and mercy Rescued me So again I come before Him One more time praise Him for all His blessings He has been so good to me I want to thank Him, I want to praise Him His grace has been sufficient and like before He's given victory, oh, always standing by my side When the valley was low And the river was wide I want to thank Him I want to praise Him One more time He was always standing by my side When the valley was low Amen. Just want to thank the Lord one more time for his goodness towards us who are saved. Boy, I tell you, I couldn't ever thank him enough, couldn't ever praise him enough for just how good he's been to me. Amen. He doesn't owe me anything. That's right. God doesn't owe, owe any of us a dime, but still he just continues to freely pour out his blessings upon us. Amen. So I hope that was a A blessing to you. Amen. Again, another day. Hope it's a good day for you. Uh, And if God woke you up out of bed, if your feet hit the floor, and if somebody once said, if you're above ground, it's a good day. Amen. So thank God this is the day that the Lord has made, and let us rejoice And be glad in it. So thank you so much for uh, tuning in. It is an honor just to have you here today. And I hope that something that might be said on this program might be a help and a blessing to you. That is uh, the purpose of the Trumpet Series Bible Study Broadcast. Is um, to bring honor and glory and praise to the name of our (laughs) Savior. That no flesh might glory in His presence. And uh, again... Uh, our motto verse for this uh, program is, uh, Spare not, cry aloud, lift up our voices like a trumpet. So we want to magnify uh, the word of God. Amen. Exalt the Son of God. Jesus said that if I be lifted up, I draw all men unto myself. So we want to lift him up and trust that through this uh, open door of avenue God's given to us, through the Trumpet Series Bible Study Program that um, uh, men and women, boys and girls, would be drawn to Jesus. Those who are saved, if you're saved, uh, our prayer and our plea and our desire for you by way of this broadcast is that you will be drawn closer to Him and be encouraged and chan- challenged uh, to be more faithful in your own Bible study. Amen. And uh, daily devotions. But then if you're lost, uh, our desire is that God might uh, take his word and plant a seed of conviction in your heart, draw him to you that you might uh, repent and trust Christ and be saved before it's too late. Wouldn't it be great if somebody got born again by way of this um, uh, Bible study broadcast? Again, whether you watch by way of Facebook, YouTube, or one of the various podcast, audio podcast forums that... um, Uh, that this program uh, is provided uh, through. All right, uh, we've got a busy month of November coming up. I do want to remind you about the special um, Hope for America rally that's coming up a week from tomorrow here at United Baptist Church. Brother D.R. Harrison, Brother Greg Locke, who will be preaching for us as well as of the day, who will be singing during this special service, 7 o'clock p.m., uh, November the 5th, uh, United Baptist Church Auditorium. You better come early. Uh, if you want to get a good seat, we're expecting a full house uh, on that Friday night. Again, November the 5th, Hope for America rally. Then we've got the Art Community Revival that will kick off on Monday, the November, November the 19th and continue through Friday uh, the 19th, November the 15th, and will continue through Friday the 19th. Services will take place 7 o'clock p.m. each night at the Crescent School Auditorium here in Greenville. There will be special preaching. We've got a great lineup of preachers uh, who will uh, be sharing God's Word. Uh, it will be highlighted by Brother Mike Sage, uh, pastor of um, Freedom Baptist Tabernacle in Atkins, Virginia. He'll preach the Friday night youth emphasis service. Uh, So bring the young people, we're going to try to get word out to all the school systems and hopefully on Friday night we're going to have a jam-packed auditorium there at Crescent School uh, for the art revival. And then uh, the events of that week will conclude and we'll wrap up with the art banquet which will take place on Saturday, November the 20th, 5 o'clock p.m. Again, the Crescent School Auditorium. Uh, There will be a um, catered meal excited about another opportunity to eat can I get a witness on that one Uh, there's going to be a ministry presentation just to give you an update of what God's doing uh, by way of the art ministries amen this vision that God placed on our heart right at four years ago now and how that ministry is growing and expanding and uh, we're wanting to take it to the next level that God would have it to be at and then we're going to um, have a silent auction uh, various businesses are going to be donating uh, items to be auctioned off silently, um, again, at the art Banquet. And then we're going to have a fundraising drive to raise some financial resources for the art Ministry. Again, that's 5 o'clock p.m., August the 20th on Saturday. And again, you can purchase your tickets. You do have to have a ticket. Now, again, we're not uh, charging admission for the revival. Uh, that'll take place uh, that week. But on Saturday for the banquet, there will be an admission cost of $10 for adults, $5 for children, and anyone three and under will get in free. So reserve your ticket. You can purchase a ticket to the ARC banquet uh, by going down to the ARC thrift store. Uh, I try to carry some of those tickets with me and other board members, Dylan Bailey, Josh Kutchall, Jason Hensley, they have tickets as well. So purchase your ticket, reserve your place Uh, for the art banquet and see what the Lord's doing in that uh, ministry. Not our ministry, but it's His ministry. He gave us the vision, laid the burden on our hearts, and we are just stewards of His work that He wants to use to reach our community for the cause of Christ. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get right into today's study. Uh, Again, I want you to continue to keep those prayer requests coming in. And uh, again, I do believe in the power of prayer. The Bible says that the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. And for this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hear us. And we know that if he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we shall have the petitions that we desired of him. First John chapter 5. Amen. So let's pray. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seeking ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. You have not because you ask not. So, uh, again, we need to pray for one another. Bear one another's burdens by way of intercessory prayers. So give those prayer requests to us, and we'll do our best to make them known from day to day on uh, that day's program. Uh, All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, I love you. I thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for another opportunity. Lord, I just want to praise you. I just want to thank you, Father. Your grace has been sufficient and like so many times you've uh given victory god and lord uh, you were always standing by my side uh when the valley was low and the river was wide i just want to uh thank you i want to praise you one more time father uh god i pray that your blessings and your hand of favor would be upon today's broadcast and god i pray that it go out lord whether it be to the viewers to the listeners Whoever it might be, whatever platform they might be accessing this broadcast uh, through, Lord, I pray that they wouldn't just hear the words of this old preacher man, but Lord, they'd hear uh, the word of God. Uh, Lord, today I pray that your word would fall on good ground. Lord, it'd bear an abundance of fruit in our lives. Uh, God, I pray, Father, Lord, uh, again, that uh, your word would not return void. It'd get the job done. Father, that your word might be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We'd hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against thee. Honor your word. Exalt your son to your humble servant. We'll praise you in advance for who you are and what you do, Lord. If there might be one today listening or watching uh, this program who is lost, has never been saved, draw them unto yourself, convict them of their sins, and help them to bow on an old-fashioned altar, God. and uh, Lord, repent and uh, turn to you before it's too late, God. Uh, Lord, I pray you'd make the difference, God, in the, the life of some sinner today as they commit themselves to you. Uh, Lord, we will praise you for wh- who you are and what you do. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, uh, yesterday we began examining chapter number three in Paul's letter to the church at Rome. As we're getting ready to get into what we might refer to as the real meat and the substance of this wonderful and marvelous book, in the Word of God. Later on in Chapter Number Three, you're going to find some verses that, if you've spent any time studying the Word of God or listening to preaching or or um, uh, attending church, you are familiar with some of the verses right here in Romans Chapter Number Three. But yesterday and today, and I'm just trying to be candid uh, about this, we're ta- tackling some uh, pretty tricky. Uh, verses and some uh, some pretty heavy and deep stuff that uh, is just somewhat difficult to maneuver through. So I need your prayers as I do my best to unravel the truths that are found in this passage, making sure I do my due diligence to rightly divide the word of truth so as not to give any kind of uh, uh, wrong interpretation of the scriptures. I don't want to be guilty of of adding or taking away to what the Bible says. Now, we've all made mistakes, and it's one thing to accidentally uh, misinterpret the Scripture, and and I'm not trying to take that lightly. Uh, Amen. We ought to, to do our best to give an accurate interpretation of what the Bible says. But we all make mistakes, and there's a difference between that and intentionally trying to twist and turn the Bible and to fit it into our own idea and make it say what we want it to say. There's a special curse pronounced upon those who try to do that. Uh, Amen. You know, since yesterday's broadcast, I've made a few comments or I made a few comments on yesterday's program that I've been scratching my head over ever since. And specifically a point I made regarding God not being willing to sacrifice or give up His own holiness and righteousness so that we sinners can be saved and not have to go to hell. But in a way, is that not, and I'm just kind of trying to uh, whet your own appetite today and cause you to study and to think for yourself, Use your own, uh, using the mind of Christ that God imparted to you on the day you got saved. Is that not what God did when He sent His darling Son Jesus to die in our place and to suffer on our behalf and for our sins? And did, he, did not He, as 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my, if not my uh, favorite verse in the, the Bible, make Him, uh, did not the Father make Him the Son to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. In other words, God the Father made Jesus, God the Son, to be sin for us, to become sin. Uh, uh, Even though He didn't didn't know any sin, He didn't commit any sin, yet He willingly and voluntarily became sin uh, for us and in our place that we sinners might be made the righteousness of God in and through Him, Jesus. So in one sense, because in His incarnation, Jesus was God in the flesh. Uh, God, uh, through the second person of the Trinity, was willing to become unrighteous so that we sinners might be made righteous. Whoa, wait a minute. Uh, Again, even though Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, became unrighteous, uh, not for any sin He committed. Jesus did not commit sin. I believe in the impeccability of Christ. I don't believe that Christ was even capable of committing sin. Uh, amen. He had no desire for sin. Why? Because he did not possess a sinful nature. He was born uh, of a virgin. Amen. The, the seed of sin was passed down uh, not through the spiritual genetics of the woman but through the man. And because uh, the Holy Ghost was Jesus' father he was conceived not uh, by the seed of man but by the seed of the Holy Ghost that was implanted into the womb uh, of his mother Mary. Jesus was born without even the the capacity or the capability of committing sin. But yet He willingly became sin. He submitted Himself. He made Himself of no reputation. Uh, uh, The kenosis theory. Jesus, uh, amen, submitted Himself voluntarily to the curse and the condemnation of sin. So for just a little while, as Jesus suffered, bled, and died on on the cross, uh, His Father turned His back on His Son because God the Father no longer saw Jesus in His purity, in His innocence, in His holiness, in His righteousness, but God saw the Son. God saw the second person of the Trinity. God saw Jesus Christ. Not as He was, innocent, pure, holy, and sinless, but God saw Jesus for just a small space of time as unholy, unrighteous, and sinful as He bore not His sins, but our sins, in His own flesh and through His own body, as the fullness and the fury of God's wrath was poured out on the body of His darling Son. Uh, You know, that is beyond uh, uh, the ability of our uh, finite human minds to comprehend. And we can't understand that, how that God the Father was still able to remain righteous as He watched from His throne and He saw The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, Jesus Christ, become unrighteous uh, for us. And and, you know, I'll just be honest with you, that almost seems like blasphemy for me to even utter out of my mouth, amen. But Jesus, the Bible says clearly that Jesus, God the Father, made God the Son. Uh, The Father made the Son, uh, He made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The question is, then how could God the Father be righteous while God the Son could be made unrighteous, even if it was temporarily and for a moment? Not for His own sin, but for the sin you and I are guilty of. And to be honest with you, I don't have an answer to that question. Who knows? Maybe God will let us uh, ask that question when we get to heaven. Uh, Amen. Uh, So again, we'll save that for another day. But just because I don't understand it, Or have an answer for it doesn't mean that I don't believe it. As you've heard me say already on this program, we we cannot, uh, we finite human beings cannot base our willingness to trust, to believe, and obey an infinite uh, creator on whether or not we are able to understand or comprehend everything He does or everything that occurs. Uh, In our lives, friend, if you base your willingness to trust, believe and obey God on whether or not you understand or are able to comprehend everything uh, there is to know about God or about your life, then you're not going to last very long. Your faith will fail. Faith is a willingness. Uh, Amen. Uh, Faith is a willingness to believe God even when we don't understand God. Uh, faith is a willingness to obey God and to trust God even when God doesn't make sense to us. Amen. Yesterday we spent a large majority of our time talking about how that man's response to the law and, and word of God does not change or alter the accuracy, the reliability, or the credibility of the Scriptures. Why? Because just as God's nature is immutable and, cha- and, and, and unchanging, so also His Word is unchanging as well. Uh, That's right. In a changing world, I am so thankful I serve an unchanging God, and I'm so thankful that I have and possess uh, confidently uh, a copy of God's unchanging Word. Psalm 119 says, Forever, O Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. Aren't you thankful that Your faith and your hope is built upon the unsettling and the firm foundation of the Bible. And what that means is that man's opinion, his idea, his philosophy or his attempt to manipulate, influence or reinterpret the Bible does not change uh, the uh, unsettled nature of God's Word. Someone once said the Bible says what it means and it means what it says. And because of that, you and I do not have the right or the authority to twist, turn it, or mold it into a more convenient version that fits more comfortably into our lives. And friend, there is no such thing as a user-friendly or a customized version of the Word of God. And can I just say to you today, and I'll run this hobby horse real quick and we'll move on, uh, but I don't even like the word version. At all we talk about which version of the Bible do you use amen that in itself insinuates the possibility that there are many uh, different versions flavors or options uh, of the scriptures that means to, to me that insinuates that you and I have the right uh, to uh, change the Word of God to manipulate the Word of God, to alter, to to form, to fit, to frame, or to mold uh, uh, God's Word and to make it more comfortable and and to cause it to fit uh, more conveniently into our own lives. And in in reality, I think that's what the devil has done by creating all of these uh, various uh, versions, types, styles, and versions of the Scriptures. A user-friendly version, uh, amen. A uh, a customized version of the Word of God, one that's easier, the one that one that uh, emphasizes readability and understandability over and above accuracy, amen. In other words, I when when I give you a Bible, I'm giving you not uh, what the Bible says. Uh, objectively, but what I believe it to mean, which is subject to my own interpretation or opinion. And what the devil's doing, he's undermining, he's attempting to undermine uh, the uh, credibility, the accuracy, and the reliability, and the efficacy of the Bible in our own minds. Now here's the thing, the devil can do what he wants to, and he's tried ever since uh, the beginning of time, uh, to undermine the Word of God uh, as it exists. Uh, God's Word has always been. The Word of God is an eternal. Is eternal. It always has been and it always will be. But the devil has, has been working overtime ever since he fell out of heaven because of his own disobedience. Satan has been doing his best to undermine the Word of God. Well, he cannot do that. But why? Because... The Word of God is forever settled. The devil cannot change the Word of God. The devil cannot alter the Word of God. The devil cannot, uh, amen, remake or remold uh, the Word of God into something else he wants it to do. But what he has done, he's created counterfeit Bibles and counterfeit versions of the Scripture that are more customized or user-friendly copies. Amen. Everything that God does, the devil has a counterfeit. Uh, The devil wants to recreate his own version of the Bible, and he's doing a good job of it in our world today. There's only one Bible, and it is the infallible and errant, inspired, and perfectly preserved Word of God. So because of the unchanging and forever settled nature of the Scriptures, God's Word always has and always will trump The words, the thoughts, the ideas, the philosophies, and the opinions of man. Paul wrote it in Romans 3 verse 4. We studied it yesterday. Let God be true and every man a liar. But then we ended yesterday's study by showing how that man's willful decision and choice to reject God's word and refuse uh, to allow himself to be made righteous by God's word Uh, and by God's Son, does not change or alter the righteousness of God in any way, shape, or form. And even if every sinner, we we gave you this theory, uh, this scenario, if you want to say it that way. Even if every sinner that has ever lived here on earth were to reject God's Word and refuse to submit to God's way or God's method for man to be saved, and may I remind you there's only one way to be saved. Jesus said, I am not an option, uh, not one of many ways. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one door by which man can enter into God's sheepfold. Anybody that tries to go in, uh, uh, climb up over the wall, or go around the fence, go around the door, and go in by his own or make his own way into the sheepfold of God, Uh, The the Lord Jesus said Himself in John chapter number 10 that He is the same as a thief and a robber. Amen. You'll only get into the family of God if you come uh, by way of the door. And the door is Jesus. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved but by the name of Jesus. Uh, And if every man that has ever been born And if every drop of blood that Jesus shed when He died on Calvary were wasted, you say, how could that happen? Well, if no man receives Christ and if nobody gets saved and if every person, every drop of blood that was shed and every uh, ounce of Christ's righteousness that was offered up on behalf of man so that uh, man that was sinful... Could be, and, and man that was ho, uh, unholy and man that was unrighteous could be, become righteous. If it were all wasted and and, and if it became of none effect because man, every man, every woman, every boy and every girl who was ever been born and lived uh, on this earth and in this life were to reject and refuse to submit to them, themselves to God's way of salvation. You know what? God would still be just. God would still be right, God would still be 100% holy in stepping aside and, and, and allowing every man uh, to uh, drop off into the flames and fires of hell uh, like a freight train running down a rail out of control. God would allow, He would be perfectly just if He steps aside and allows every sinner to drop off into and to burn and to fry in the flames and fires of hell uh, throughout all eternity, God would still be just. God would still be right. And God would still be holy. Amen. And and if that happened, it wouldn't be because God uh, uh, purposefully and intentionally sent man to hell, but it would be because man uh, freely and voluntarily chose to go to that hellish place that was not created uh, for, for man or for human, humanity, but it was created for the devil. Amen. If you, if you go to hell, you're not going to a place where you belong. You're not going to, even going to a place that was created for you. If you spend an eternity in hell, uh, amen, you'll be going to a place that was created for Satan, the devil, and his minions. But listen, uh, amen, the truth is if you reject the sacrifice and offering of Jesus Christ on your behalf, if you refuse to submit yourself to God's way of salvation, then God will uh, step aside and He will allow you to drop off into the flames and fires of heaven. And it, and it won't be His fault that it'll be your fault and you'll have no one else to blame beside yourself. You see, friend, what man does with and how man responds to the offer of salvation God has freely and graciously made to him has no bearing or influence on the righteousness of God whatsoever. Uh, You know, even if every man went to hell, God would still be righteous, God would still be holy, and God would still be just. Now let's notice the execution for a moment. Verse 6, God forbid. Romans 3 verse 6, God forbid. For then how shall God judge the world? Here we find a question Paul asks in response to statements that he made in verse number 5 regarding the unrighteousness of man and the retribution of God upon man over his sin, causing God to somehow potentially be unjust or unrighteousness. Or unrighteous, excuse me. But here in verse 6, Paul responds to the questions or the statements that were made in verse 5. The answer he gives is short, concise, and to the point when he says God forbid. And then he asks another question. Paul asks another question. Verse number 6, by asking if either man's sin or God's judgment upon man and over and because of sin would cause God to be unjust or unrighteous. And if that were the case, then how would God be able or qualified to serve as the judge over all his creation? So let's just establish a fact right here when it comes to the judgment of man. God is both the judge, the jury, and the executioner of his uh, creation all combined into one. And that goes back to 1 Corinthians 4 verses 3 through 5 where Paul wrote to the Corinthians, but with me... It is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified, but he, here it is, that judgeth me is the Lord. Uh, Amen, let me say that again. He that judgeth me, and he that judgeth you, and he that judgeth all men is the Lord. Uh, amen, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, but who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. Amen, and may I just say before you go any further, uh, you've got an appointment that you're not going to be able to counsel or postpone. And that is an appointment to where you're going to have to stand before the God of heaven, the creator and the sustainer of all things, the giver and the taker of life, the one that gave your breath, the one that breathed life into your body and the one that one day will take it away from you, the one who is the determiner, uh, the ultimate determiner of where you will spend eternity in heaven or in hell. You're going to stand before him and you're going to, Give an account. As it is appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. Remember when Paul here uses the word judgment, he's talking about a sentence or a verdict that is made to determine one's guilt or innocence. Which is, this kind of judgment is different from another word for judgment that is used in 1 Corinthians 2.15 where Paul tells the Corinthians... He that is spiritual judgeth all things. And we touched on this uh, a couple of weeks ago in our study where, you know, this idea that man, you know, this uh, scapegoat, this lame duck excuse that man uses to excuse uh, any and all forms of sin in his life. You know, if we want to preach against sin, if we want to confront people and over their sin today, they say, don't judge me. Amen. Well, how, how can you mess that up? Jesus said, "Judge not, lest ye be judged." In other words, the same way, the same measure, and the same standard, the same ruler that you use to judge other men's lives by, you better use to judge your own life by, because you're going to st- uh, be judged uh, uh, by God one day. Uh, when you stand before Him on Judgment Day, you're going to be judged by God in the same way and according to the same measure, the same standard, and by the same ruler that you ju- use to judge other people. Amen. Paul said, He that's spiritual judgeth all things. But in our day, we ain't supposed to judge no one, uh, even for outright blatant sins. But in 1 Corinthians 2.15, the word judge means to analyze, scrutinize, evaluate, or investigate. It means to determine whether or not the testimony one bears or gives regarding themselves lines up with and matches up against the facts of the case. And the facts of the case as it relates to our judgment is the Word of God. You better make sure that the testimony of your own life lines up with the truth that's found in the Word of God. But when it comes to the idea of judgment, may I say this, before we judge everybody else, we need to first judge ourselves. And when we judge ourselves, we must judge ourselves by the same standard, the same measure, and with the same ruler that we use to judge the lives of others by. Going back to the the moat and the bean, we want to uh, nitpick every little speck that, that, uh, uh, that exists and that we can find in the lives of others, but then we want to uh, ignore, avoid, or overlook uh, the telephone pole that stands out and that everybody else can see but us in our own lives. But when it comes to this idea of judgment, as it relates to handing down a verdict, the first form of judgment, handing down a verdict or passing out a sentence to declare one as being guilty or innocent, you don't. You and I don't have the authority to do that because that right belongs solely and exclusively to the Lord our God. Why? Because God is the only one who has the ability, the knowledge, and the know-how to judge men in an accurate and perfect way. Why is that? Why is God... Uh, the only one who is qualified to be the judge of his creation. Well, because of who he is, he's omnipotent, he has all power, he's omniscient, he has all knowledge, and he's omnipresent, he is everywhere present. And especially as it relates to the knowledge of God, again, in order to be a judge, you've got to have some knowledge. You've, uh, you have to have the ability to use some logic and reasoning to reason things out to make an accurate, estimated, calculated decision that is right, that is true, and, and that is just regarding uh, the case that you are deliberating. But again, uh, because God has a perfect knowledge and because God knows all things, Because God knows all contingencies, all possibilities, all probabilities, and all certainties. He knows what might be, what could be. He's aware of all the theories that surround the case. Amen. He's able to look at things clearly uh, from every angle and from every point of view. Uh, He is the only one who has the ability to judge man in a perfect right and a totally just manner. One thing about it, friend, when God judges your life, He'll look at all the fa- facts of the case, He'll examine all the evidence, and He'll evaluate all the clauses, the, con- ten- ten- the conditions, or the contingencies of both sides of the argument. Amen. Uh, presented by the prosecution and the defense. And on that day, hey, by the way, when you stand before the high court of heaven on judgment day, you better make sure you've got a good attorney. You better make sure that you've got uh, a good mediator, a good, uh, amen, uh, uh, intercessor. You better have big brother Jesus, uh, the lawyer who has a reputation for having never lost the first case. Amen. I you better have uh, a good attorney to de- defend your case because there's going to be some heavy accusations brought against you by Satan and his minions. But you know, as the case is presented by both sides of the aisle, God, uh, God, the God of heaven, both the uh, Amen, the judge, the jury, and the executioner, he's going to. Uh, Issue a right, a true, and an accurate verdict and sentence on your life to declare whether or not you stand guilty or innocent before Him. And just so you know, once the sentence and the verdict is passed and handed down by the high court of heaven, there will be no appeals and there will be no mistrials. There will be no do-overs as it relates to your case. Uh, uh, Why? Because the judgment of God is sure, right, true and final. Once the gavel falls, there will be no do-overs and there will be no uh, turning back. Your fate will be sealed, your sentence will be determined and your eternal destiny will be final and permanent where you will be forever and forever. And on judgment day, God will be totally fair and balanced towards every one of His creatures who stand before Him. Uh, God's judgment will not be biased. It will not be prejudiced. It will not not be discriminatory. uh, And He will not uh, show favoritism in His judgment. He cannot be uh, partial towards some and against others. Amen. Amen. Uh, Psalm 19.9, the Bible says that the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. One thing about it, friend, uh, you don't have to worry about the devil compromising or corrupting uh, the high court of heaven. You know, there's a lot of court systems, whether it be on the local, state, or federal level of our society, that have been corrupted amen and and, and, ha, and have become compromised there's a lot of judges that sit on the bench uh, again wh- whether it be uh, uh, at the local the, the, the state or the federal level uh, there's a lot of courts that uh, there's a lot of judges that have no business sitting on the bench they roll over why because they've been paid off they've been uh, tainted they've been uh, corrupted. And, uh, amen, as a result, their courtroom is more like a kangaroo court. It's an unjust court. It's an unfair court. Amen. But heaven won't be that way. Why? Because God cannot be compromised. God cannot be corrupted. You can be sure that His judgments will be sure, right, true, and fair. And if He uh, pronounces a sentence of guilt on your life, it's because you're guilty. The the evidence has been presented. Um, All the facts have been thoroughly examined. And God has found you guilty because you are guilty. On the other hand, if He declares you innocent, it's because He's done so fairly and rightly and justly. Amen. Uh, Praise God, I'm thankful that the great judge of heaven, amen, God Himself, again, who is both the judge, the jury, and the executioner of our case. He cannot be bought off. He cannot be won over. But He will pass judgments that are pure, right, and true uh, in and upon every one of His created beings. All right, now there's a redemption. Uh, Verse number 7, For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto His glory. Here's another one of those Statements that's deep. Paul was a very wise man. He was a very knowledgeable. He was a very intelligent man. He was educated. He was very qualified to be a writer of the scriptures. God had prepared him through his education. The fact that he had sat at the feet of Gamaliel, he had been uh, he had sat on the board of the Sanhedrin, uh, a Pharisee of the Pharisee. Amen. He he was. an elite member of Jewish society. So he knew what he was talking about. So sometimes uh, he wades out into some pretty deep waters in his writing. And such is the case here in this statement that he makes in verse number 7 where he writes, For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie and his glory, it's almost as if Paul is playing sort of a devil's advocate position with his audience. And one thing's for sure, he was definitely asking some hard questions. But here in this statement, the question Paul asks, and I believe we must all answer, is whether or not God's truth is verified and His name is glorified in and by our sin. And again, once I almost cringe by even making such a statement. Uh, it's almost as if Paul is asking this in a presumptuous or an assuming manner, as if the obvious answer to the question is yes. And at first glance, this will probably make all of us raise our eyebrows for how in the world could God get glory out of man's sin? Well, the answer to that is that God cannot and does not receive glory through the individual acts of man's sinful disobedience. In fact, sin in itself is a reproach, a dishonor, and a disgrace to the high and holy name of our God. Yet, I do believe God can get glory out of the consequences of sin. Why? And again, this this almost makes me blow a fuse within the the confines uh, of my brain. God can take our sin, turn our sin around and work them together to fulfill His great purpose for ourselves and for others. And again, I'm saying it, and I'm not stuttering when I'm saying it, that God is able to take your sin, the bad choices, the the bad decisions you make that are contrary to His word and will, He's able to take your sin, turn it around, and work it together for your good and for His glory. Some of you are scratching your head. Some of you are wanting to pick up rocks and stones and throw them at the preacher. How could you say such a thing that God could get glory out of the consequences uh, and the results of man's sin- sinful choices? Well, Paul said, for all things, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, and to them who are the called uh, according to his purpose. And I believe uh, that there are multiple examples in the scripture to where God is even able to take man's sin. Specifically, the consequences and the results and the effects of man's sin. Turn it around and work it together to fulfill His great purpose and bring more glory to His high and holy name. Can I give you a few examples? David's sin with Bathsheba. You know, what a terrible sin. An adulterous sin. A sin of adultery that, that... progressed downwardly to an even greater sin of murder being committed against Bathsheba's husband Uriah the Hittite, one of David's most loyal soldiers. But, uh, amen, David and Bathsheba conceived a son, that child died. Amen, but David and Bathsheba later married, and Solomon, uh, one of the great kings, second only to David, the great king of Israel was conceived out of an adulterous affair between David and Bathsheba. And like it or not, and you can twist it and turn it and spin it all you want to, but Solomon became part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. And if it hadn't been for Solomon, there would be no Jesus. If it hadn't been for Bathsheba, there had been no Solomon. So God used the consequences of David and Bathsheba's adulterous fare, God took it, turned it around, and worked it together to bring about the birth of the world's Savior. Amen. God took David's sin, turned it around, worked it together to bring glory to His name. Preacher, do you understand that? No, but I believe it and I'm thankful for it. David, here's another example in the life of David. For God getting glo- of God getting glory out of the consequences of David's sin, he numbered the people. He took an unlawful sentence, which resulted in more deaths and more suffering and more hurt than his sin with Bathsheba ever thought about causing. But when David numbered the people, God took that sin, used it to purchase the piece of ground that later became the temple mound, and was ultimately used uh, uh, by. David to or by Solomon to build uh, Solomon's great temple, which eventually became uh, one of the wonders of the ancient world. And I don't think anybody would, uh, would argue as to whether or not Solomon's temple brought glory to the name of Jesus. Well, Solomon's temple would have never, the ground uh, that was purchased uh, and that was used The ground that was used to build Solomon's temple was purchased as a result of David's sin of numbering the people. Amen. Can I give you one more just in case you're still a doubter? The Jews sinned by killing Jesus. Of course, Jesus let them kill. Nobody, nobody, uh, uh, Amen. Nobody took Jesus' life from him. He willingly and voluntarily offered his life up as a sacrifice uh, for man's sin. But in one sense, the Jews sinned in killing Jesus. And not only did they sin by killing Jesus, but they also sinned by rejecting Him. The very w- one who they were ha- supposedly had been looking for and waiting for to deliver them from Roman oppression that they were in under. The Jews rejected Jesus. The Bible says in John chapter number one, that he came into his own, and his own received him not. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow acquainted with grief. But, if the Jews had never killed him, and if the Jewish people, the very ones he came and died for, had had never rejected Jesus, amen, we Gentiles would have never had an opportunity to be grafted in as wild branches of the true vine. And we would have never been given an opportunity to be saved. The death of Jesus. The fact that the Jews, His own people, that greatest tragedy of all tragedies. uh, The killing of the Savior. They literally killed God. Can you think of anything worse that could have ever happened than for man to kill God? That's what happened. But God took it, turned it around, and worked it together for man's salvation. Amen. And not only that, it was through, by way of the Jews' reject, rejection that you and I, Gentiles, the heathen, we old dirty dogs, uh, Gentiles, we were provided with an, a, a way to be saved and an opportunity to be delivered from our sins. Uh, he came into his own, and his own received him not, but to as many as received him. To them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. That's an example of God taking the consequences of man's sin, uh, turning it around and working it together to bring glory to His name. Another one is in the life of uh, Joseph. The sin that Joseph's brothers committed against him. Amen. By forsaking him, throwing him into a pit, and selling him off into slavery. God used that sin, that transgression, that offense that was committed against their own flesh and blood, God turned it around, worked it together, uh, amen, to to use Joseph, the one they had offended, to deliver them from uh, the calamity that was brought about by the famine that came into the land. Amen. Ye meant it unto evil against me, Joseph said to his brother, but God meant it unto good. I'm saying to you today that God is able to take Uh, the consequences, the results and the effects of our sin and work them together to bring about glory to His great name and occasion. Verses 7 and 8. Why yet am I also judged as a sinner and not rather as we be slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Here Paul is addressing the potential that some might try to use the fact that God uh, can and will get glory out of the consequences of our sin to give man a way, an excuse, or a reason to try and justify his sin and cause him to commit even more sin. And this is summarized by Paul's statement in Romans chapter number 6, verse 1 and 2 where Paul wrote, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, God forbid. And to that I'll echo, God forbid that any of us human beings would attempt to use the grace, mercy, goodness, or glory of God to serve as a license, a reason, or an excuse for us to commit even more sin. No, my friend, God's grace does not give you a license, a permit, or an excuse to commit more sin, but it gives you a license and a reason to commit less sin. Amen. Amen. Because the grace of God has delivered you and made you free from the law of sin and of death. I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I'm a servant and a slave to Jesus Christ. So grace doesn't give me a reason to, to commit more sin. It gives me a reason to commit less sin than what I used to commit. And friend, may I just say to you today that if your false and phony idea of the marvelous grace and mercy of God that has been freely bestowed and made available to your life somehow gives you a wider avenue and a greater opportunity to commit more sin against the Lord your God than you did before you got saved, then I don't believe you've ever really and truly experienced God's mercy and grace in your life in the first place And my advice to you is to get saved and to become born again. No, indeed, friend, anyone who has ever really and truly been saved, I don't think that even entertained the thought of using their newfound identity in Christ as a reason, an excuse, or a license to keep on sinning or to commit more and more sin. Very simply, real, true, and genuine grace doesn't cause you or lend you to commit more sin but real grace keeps you from committing more sin. Amen. And then we'll wrap up today's Bible study with the last point, the end of verse number eight. And then we'll get into a, an entirely brand new section starting tomorrow, uh, chapter number nine, as we get into some very, very, very familiar scripture that, that, that most of us should at least be somewhat aware of. But let's wrap things up today by considering the damnation. Where Paul writes at the end of verse number 8 of Romans chapter number 3, whose damnation is just. So for anyone who might try and use the grace, mercy, goodness, or glory of God to somehow serve in their depraved mind as, as a way or an avenue for them to commit more sin or to keep on sinning, so to speak, bottom line, they will in effect be sealing their own doom. They'll be signing their own death warrant and will be uh, allowed by God to go to hell. And when it's all said and done, He'll be just right and He will even get more glory because of it. Now again, if I haven't confused and confounded you already and if I've not got you scratching your head, raising your eyebrows and just about uh, on the brink of blowing another brain fuse, did you know that God can actually get glory out of allowing sinners? To die and go to hell. You know the Bible says that during the tribulation God's going to get glory. There's going to be praising and rejoicing going on in the high court of heaven. Amen. As God pours out the vials of His wrath and vengeance. As the full fury of God's wrath is poured out uh, on sinful humanity over His sin. Heaven's going to be rejoicing and praising and glorifying God because He is righteously and justice, uh, justly pouring out the full fury of His wrath and vengeance out on mankind and over their sin. God can and will get glory out of allowing sinners to go to hell. Now notice I didn't say that He's going to get glory out of sin- by sending sinners to hell because God don't send nobody to hell. If you go to hell, you're going because you voluntarily and freely chose to spend eternity in that awful place. But God can and will get glory by allowing sinners to go to hell because God, uh, amen, Uh, listen friend, when the God of heaven steps aside and allows your sorry, depraved, and condemned carcass to run off into hell like a freight train running out of control down the tracks, in a sense, He's getting glory out of it. Why? Because your condemnation and your damnation Uh, and over the awfulness and terribleness of your sin, uh, all it does is just magnifies, glorifies, and causes the holiness, righteousness, and justice of God to stand out and to shine brighter against the condemnation, deprivation, and damnation that is caused by your own sin. So once again, it's all turned around and brought around full circle to where everything that happens in our lives in accordance with God's plan works together to bring honor, glory, and praise to the high and holy name of our God. And even when it comes to the the condemnation, the reprobation, and the damnation of sinners being turned over and cast into a devil's hell where they're going to fry and burn... For all eternity, the judgment, fury, wrath, and vengeance of God pouring out on their lives when contrasted against the holiness, righteousness, and justice of God will actually work to magnify, to glorify, and to bring honor, bring more honor and more praise to the Lord's high and holy name. Very simply, the best way to understand and simply uh, simplify God's great plan He has for our, His creation is to know that He takes it all, turns it around, and works it together to give Himself and to bring Himself more and more glory. You know, a lot of people want to know, and I, and, and this is, I end with this today, a lot of people want to know, well, what's the, what's the will of God for my life? You know, I want to know the specifics of God's plan for my life. Well, friend, I want to say to you that the real emphasis and the real, real priority of, of God's plan and His will and His purpose for your life. Uh, whether it be your creation. Whether it be, uh, uh, amen, your even your salvation. Everything God does in and through your life, it doesn't revolve around you, but it revolves around Him. Amen. Just as the, the planets revolve around the sun in our galaxy, this Milky Way galaxy, the everything... Uh, um, revolves around the sun our solar system excuse me i failed science class a time or two when i was growing up so don't hold that against me but in our solar system the planets are revolving around the sun the sun is not revolving around the planets and we human beings we've got it uh, twisted into thinking that the plan of god revolves around us no the plan of god for our lives revolves around him And His purpose, uh, the greatest overall purpose that God has for your life is that He might use everything. Whether it be the good things, whether it be the bad things, the positive, the negatives. Your sickness or your wealth. uh, Your poorness or your prosperity. Your triumph or your tragedy. Your salvation or your damnation. It's all going to work. Work together. God's going to turn it around, work it all together to, so that He, not you, not the creature, but so that the Creator gets as much glory as He possibly can. When it's all said and done, God's going to get all the glory. Amen. Amen. You weren't, huh, You weren't made for your own glory. There's no glory in sinful flesh. If you don't get anything out of the Trumpet Series Bible Study broadcast today, you get this. There's no glory in sinful, depraved, fallen flesh. Amen? The purpose of your life never has been and never will be to bring glory to your own self or to your own name because there's no glory in sinful, fallen flesh. No glory in us. It's always wrong for man to glory in himself or to to glory in other men. The only thing good in our lives uh, as far as fulfilling God's intended purpose for us as creatures is so that our lives might reflect or radiate His glory and bounce back and give more glory not to the creation but to the Creator or as Paul said at best, and we'll study this when we get to Romans chapter number 11. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. It's all. It's not about your well-being. It's not about your prosperity. It's not about your comfort. It's not about your convenience. It's not about your security. It's not about making your life as easy as you possibly can. That's not the plan of God so that you can just cruise or coast along lapping it up like a little dog. Enjoying every moment per se. Tiptoeing through the tulips. No, my friend your life everything about your life from beginning to end uh, from creation and even Salvation itself on through the process of sanctification and glorification. It's all not about, it's not about you, but it's all about His glory. Let's pray today. Father in heaven, I love you. Thank you for another opportunity we've had to study the Word of God. Thank you for another open door of opportunity to come to our viewers and listeners by way of the trumpet series Bible study broadcast. Lord, I pray that nothing that I've said today would bring confusion, but that it would bring clarity to the minds and hearts of those who graciously tune into this program. Lord, I pray, Father, Lord, that I, uh, that we would all learn the lessons of the Word of God today, and that is that You want to take it all, even the bad things, even the things that we'd like to forget, even even the things we'd like to go back and do over. And do differently. Lord, Father, You allow it all to happen for a purpose. And that is so that we could fulfill the great purpose for our being and our creation and our existence. And that's not for ourselves, but so that You might use us to get more glory and to bring more glory to Your name because You alone are worthy. Father, that no flesh should, should glory in Your presence. God I don't have the ability to glory in myself or in my own name. Any glory that I, any glory that I may try to uh, gather into myself, Lord, it's a false. It's a fake, it's a phony and it's a corrupt glory. because Lord, it's impossible for corrupt fallen creatures to, gl- to glory in themselves or in each other. God, I pray that the Trumpet Series Bible Study broadcast, Father, I pray that the Ark Ministries, I pray that United Baptist Church, I pray that my life, Nick Bailey and my family, and everything that I'm involved in, and everything that every other person, every other preacher, and every other ministry is involved in, Father, I pray that we would go overboard. We'd go the extra mile over and beyond the call of duty to make sure that it is all working together to bring honor and glory and praise, not to the names of ourselves or our own ministries, but to the glory of the only one that's worthy, and that's our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask it in His name and for His sake. Amen. Tune in again tomorrow for another uh, live edition of the trumpet series Bible Study Broadcast. I hope everyone has a good day. And make sure you take time to tell somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And have a great day.